How many is glad to be here today? Are you excited about what God is doing at Christ Point? And I want to say to everyone that's new, everybody that's been attending, listen, thank you for being here. I'd like to shake your hand. Meet me after the, the service at the Next Step booth. If you want to get involved, if you have questions, I'll be standing there to, ask, to answer your questions and to help you to get involved. Amen. So today I want to uh, finish my sermon series called His Presence. And uh, I was supposed to preach on it last Sunday morning, but the way the service went, I didn't really have an opportunity to do so. But I did do it Sunday night. And so I want to finish that sermon this morning. And so I just want you to pay attention to what I feel like the Holy Spirit would have to say to us today. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Father, we pray that you add your blessing to your word today. Open our ears, open our hearts, that we would hear your word, that your word would go forth in power and boldness. And everyone shouted a great big amen. A part of my experience growing up as a child and I'm sure most of you can relate to what I'm about to say. Part of my experience growing up as a child was an emphasis on the presence of God and the power of God. You know, I went to an old country church growing up, and that's my heritage. That's my legacy. My great-grandmother was a pastor of a church. My grandparents were, were very faithful to church and took me to church. And so that's my uh, environment. That's my legacy. That's, that's what I knew growing up. And as a, a young child, even though I was a part of a dysfunctional family, I, I, I found strength and found my haven in the presence of God. It really made a difference in my life. It really changed my life as a little boy. I remember six, seven, eight years old, me experiencing the power of God in such a tangible way that it caused a great hunger in my life to pursue after the presence of God. However, I quickly realized growing up in church that I had a lot of questions that I didn't have answers for. And I was analytical. I would sit there and listen to the preacher and the pastor, but I also had a lot of questions. And so from a little boy, my pursuit has been, I wanted to be an intellectual Pentecostal but I also wanted the power of God too. I wanted both. I wanted, I wanted to preach effectively. I wanted to be informative, but I also wanted to have inspiration. You know, some churches go to church where they just learn about God, while others go to church to experience God. But I think that the best of both worlds is coming to church to learn about God and also to experience God. Can I hear an amen? And so if you look in the New Testament, especially, the, especially uh, the Gospels and especially the book of Acts, one of the things that you'll notice very quickly is that there was word and then there was power, word or spirit. And that was a common theme, especially in the book of Acts. The word of God was preached and then the power of God was made manifested. You, you can't deny that's how you see the pattern. It was like a rhythm that was found in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God was present, and then also the Word of God was present. They preached the Word of God with boldness, and then the Spirit demonstrated himself among the community. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I didn't come to you with eloquent speech, but I came to you with the power of God. You see, both of them working together, I believe, causes a transformation in the hearts of people. We should never neglect the Word of God. The Word of God is our primary focus. It is the bread of life. 
We build our life upon the Word of God. We build our life upon following the principles and precepts of the Word of God. But also, if you look at Scripture, you'll see a combination where the Word of God is working with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is working with the Word of God, and both of them brings about a transformation that humanity can never bring. And I want this church to be a church where the Word of God is preached, where you learn, where you grow, where you're challenged to grow, where you're challenged to change your thinking and you develop spiritual disciplines in your life and you push forward and you grow and you be all that you can be. But also, I want this house, this church, to cultivate the presence of God. Amen. How many knows the presence of God can do much more than what Josh Pennington could ever do? Amen. The presence of God can do so much more than what I could ever do. Amen. And so in the scriptures, you will see a combination of the word of God and the spirit of God. For instance, you remember in Acts chapter 2, the spirit of God came upon the church and it came as a wind and it blew in the house and they were all filled with the spirit. But then the Bible also says in Acts chapter 3 that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he began to preach a powerful message about Jesus Christ. That's not a coincidence. The Spirit of God in chapter 2, and then the Word of God was preached. Both of them working together. Both of them working together caused a transformation with the Lord. And you see, my friends, that's what I desire in your life. I am going to focus just for a few moments on the presence of God. Now, there is a many things I could say about the presence of God. But the very first thing that I want you to know about the presence of God is that God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. You can't hide from God. You know, some people think that God is lost. Somehow we got to find God. But God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And in fact, I'm going to push the envelope and say it like this, that God was here before you ever arrived. Can I hear an amen? So God is everywhere. You remember what David said in Psalm 139? Now, uh, this is just an extra scripture that I want to throw in here. It's not a, actually a part of my notes, but I want you to see it. And uh, Psalm 139, David said it like this. Psalm 139 and verse number 7. David made this uh, comment about the presence of God that I want you to see. Psalm 139 verse 7, he said, Where can I go from your presence? Or from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. In other words, David said, I can't flee from you. Everywhere I turn, you are there. Now, that's the first thing I want you to know. You can't run from God. God's presence is everywhere. He is omnipresent. However, if you look at the scripture, you will see that there are special occasions in the word of God where his manifest presence came. His manifest presence, or you could call it the abiding presence of the Lord. It came. And sometimes when that manifest presence of the Lord came, the Bible says in the book of Exodus that people couldn't even stand to minister in the house of God because the presence of God was so strong. Over and over, you'll see God's manifest presence coming on the scene, especially in the tabernacle, especially in the temple of the Old Testament. When the presence of the Lord would come, 
The Bible says that people couldn't even stand to minister because the manifest presence of the Lord is there. You see, not only do you see that God is everywhere, omnipresent, not only is there the manifest presence of God that comes on special occasions, the glory of God, the Shekinah presence of God, but also thirdly, you will see that there is another term in Scripture that is called the abiding presence of God. Now, what does that mean? What does the abiding presence of God is? We know that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. You can't run from God. David said he couldn't even flee from God. And then number two, you see God's manifest presence. And that's what we experienced last Sunday. We experienced God's manifest presence in this building last Sunday. But also, you see God's abiding presence. And God's abiding presence is this. It, it means that we are conscious of the presence of God. or We are very conscious of the perceived sense of God's presence. In other words, the abiding presence of God is that you make a decision that you are conscious that he abides with you. Sometimes we go throughout life and we give mental assent that God is with us. Oh, yes, God is with us. Oh, I'm thankful that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, that God is always with us. But I don't think that we really understand that that is really true. And some of us need to change our mindset and be more aware of God's presence in our life. Sometimes God shows up in the little things of life. Sometimes God shows up in the unexpected events of life. Sometimes God steps in and shows out in our life. Sometimes God shows up in the small things of our life. And we as a church has to come to a place in our life that we are conscious of the perceived presence of God, that we don't overlook the movements of God in our life. Some of us have erected monuments to the Lord, but I want you to tear down those monuments and I I want you to perceive the movements of God in your life. That is why God had those people in the Old Testament, those leaders, those children of Israel to erect memorials to the Lord because it needed to remind them of what God has done. It reminded them of the movements of God or it reminded them of the presence of God. And this morning, I want you to consciously perceive that God is with us and he is abiding with us even in the small smallest details of our life. God is interwoven. He in, he's interwoven into the fabric of our lives. So you've got to make a decision that God is with us. Now, there's a scripture that comes to my mind. It's not behind me. It just, the Holy Spirit reminded me of this. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six. I want you to see there. I'm, I want to turn there and I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to see this scripture that the Spirit has brought to my remembrance. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. It says this, verse number 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must first believe that he is. And sometimes we don't see what it's, this scripture is trying to say, if you're going to come to God, you must first believe that he is. If you come to God, you must first believe that he is. He is with you. You must perceive and make a conscious decision that God is with you. He is. Look at it. Verse number six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is that he is, and that he is a rewarder 
of those that diligently seek him. So if you're going to come to God, you must first have this conscious, this pre, this perceived sense of God's presence. You must first believe that he's with you. You must believe that God is not going to forsake you. That even in the darkest times of your life, that God is with you even in the small moments and the small valleys, the big valleys. He's with you on the mountaintop, and he's with you in the valley. God is with us. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews cha- the same chapter, and go down to verse number 27. I want you to see this. Look at what it says about Moses in verse 27 of the same chapter. It says this, by faith. Is speaking of Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, Moses endured the suffering. He endured the he endured Egypt because he put his faith in somebody that was invisible. He put his faith in somebody he couldn't see. Listen, you can't see God. And sometimes you can't even feel God. And sometimes you got doubt. Is God even with me? Does God even care? Well, I want you to know today that if you're going to come to God and you're going to expect anything from God, you must first believe that God is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter what you did, how much you are struggling. It doesn't matter where you've been. I've come to tell you today that you must first believe that God is with you. You must first believe if you're going to come to God, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is. You must first believe that he is, that he is with you. See, last week, I just briefly said this on Sunday night. You see, in the Old Testament, the glory of God would show up at the tabernacle. And the power of God would be so strong at the tabernacle. Now, if you got any understanding of the Word of God, the tabernacle of the Old Testament was a movable structure that God, it was, it was, it was a tent that God had Moses to design, and it had pieces of furniture in it, and the priest would do certain rituals within there, within the tent, and God's presence would come. God would dwell with his people in a tent. And they would move that tent for 40 years. They would move it, and God's presence would go with them wherever they went. And, and, and it's interesting to me that God's presence would show up as smoke and fire. I mean, the people would become afraid of the presence of God. Listen, when God's presence really shows up in a church service, if it really does show up, not one of us would be standing. All of us will be on our face crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We would be like the prophet Isaiah, and we would say, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Amen? You see, the tabernacle was a place where God's glory and power, his presence would be with his people. But The principle that I brought out Sunday night that I think I need to bring out again because I think this is important is found in Deuteronomy chapter number 1 and verse number 26. And it's not necessarily about the tabernacle anymore, but I want you to see another principle. In Deuteronomy chapter number 1 and verse number 26. Deuteronomy chapter number 1 and verse number 26. Nevertheless, 
you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Look at verse 27. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Do you see here? God said, you have become rebellious and you're going to be delivered to the enemy. Listen to me. Not because you experienced something at the tabernacle. It's because at your tent you complained. And there's a difference between the tabernacle and the tent. The tabernacle is a place of corporate worship, a place where the people met with God, the place where the priests would meet with God, is a place of manifest presence of God. But when they left the tabernacle, they went to their tents. Their tents is their home. And they went to their tents, and the Bible says in verse number 27 that they complained in their tents. And this is the part that I want you to see today. It's good that we have good church services. It's good that the power of God comes. It's good that you're blessed. It's good that you feel the presence of God at the church or at the tabernacle. But what's more important is what you do at the tent. What are you saying at your home? What kind of home life do you have? How do you treat your spouse? How do you, come on somebody, what are you doing at the tent? And it's okay to come here. I want to pray with you. I, I desire the presence of God. I desire the manifest presence of God more than you do. I want it to show up. And listen, let me just stop and say this. I believe that we're on the verge of something great here at Christ Point Church. And the power and the presence of God will be made manifested like we've never seen before. I want the power of God. I want the presence of God at the tabernacle. But church, listen to Pastor Josh this morning. I want you to take this presence that you have felt on Sunday morning, and I want you to take it back to your tents. I want your homes to be saturated with the power and the presence of Almighty God. What are you saying at your tent? Are you grumbling in your tent? Do you leave the presence of God here on Sunday morning and go to your tent? on Sunday afternoon and complain, it's possible that you can lose out on the blessing of God and lose out for what God wants to do in your life because you don't got your tent under control. It's not about just the tabernacle. It's what are you cultivating at your house? What values do you have at the house? Are you cultivating the presence of God? Are you singing hallelujahs on Sunday morning? And then cussing somebody out at your house on Monday? Are you complaining all the time? Are you gossiping? What, what, what kind of environment are you cultivating at your house? Is your house pleasing to God? You know, I'm telling you what, if we really want to see God do something, why don't you get the presence of God cultivated at the tent and bring it to the tabernacle? Instead of you taking the presence from the tabernacle to the tent, can we not take it from our tent to the tabernacle? I'm telling you today, God wants to do a work in your life, but he wants it to start at your house. You see, how do I cultivate the presence of God at my house? What do you mean? How do I cultivate the presence of God at your house? Well, what kind of traditions and rhythms do you have at your house? 
Do you pray together as a family? Do you pray together as a family? Do you take opportunities to pray together? Do you pray over your children? Do you have discussion with your children after Sunday morning about what they learned in children's church? Are you taking opportunities in your home to cultivate the presence of God? Is there healthy discussion about God? Do you have theological talks? You know, some parents are just frightened over having theological conversations with their children because they're afraid their children's going to ask a question they don't know. Well, let me just break it down to you. You don't know all the answers, but you should never stop people from asking questions in your home. You should cultivate a life and a tent where questions are welcomed because if we can't find the answer for them, they're going to find the answer somewhere else. You can call up the church, say, Pastor, i got a question. You can talk to one of the elders. Listen, you can look at it as a growth opportunity for you to learn. Are you having healthy conversations with your children? Do you have healthy traditions and rhythms and patterns in your life? Do you find opportunities to pray together as a spouse? Is your speech becoming of the presence of God in your house? How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your children? Are you ruled by frustration? Are you ruled by frustration and doubt and complaining? Are you, are you ruled by your feelings instead of faith? When your child has a problem, do you always look to the negativity or do you, do you lean towards the posture of positivity? What kind of environment are you creating in your house for the Holy Spirit to take residence in your house? I want to let you know, before you are a preacher, before you are a singer, you are called to be a Christian. You're called to be a father. You're called to be a godly parent. You're called to be a godly grandparent. You're called to press on future generations with the principles and precepts of the Word of God. And that is why the Bible says those who desire to be an elder, those who desire to be a pastor, you've got to make sure you rule your own household well before you try to rule the house of God. You've got to make sure your tent is in order. It's amazing to me that we want to put people in leadership and we don't even, cook, we don't even look at the Bible. The Bible says you've got to be hospitable. The Bible says that you've got to be gentle. The Bible says, come on, somebody. But we just want to put people in leadership because they're gifted. I don't care how much you're gifted. I'm more concerned about your character more than I'm concerned about your gift. Can I hear somebody say amen this morning? They're just, they're just so gifted. They're gifted. They're gifted. Well, there's a lot of people that's gifted, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible gives character qualifications for leadership. You see, what about, what are we doing in our homes? What kind of values do you have in your home? You see, I encourage you parents and even non-parents to have values in your life values in your home. At this home, we value dinner time together. Now, that may not be a value, but let's use that as an example. Or maybe you value prayer time every evening at a certain time. Maybe you value serving together. Isn't it amazing? What would happen if our families would get together and serve together? Instead of just giving your children everything they want, why don't you take them down to the homeless shelter, get them involved there once a month, and teach them to serve? Well, I'm preaching real good 
up in this Presbyterian church this morning. And I love the Presbyterians. Are y'all with me? What would happen one Christmas you decide we're not going to have a bunch of gifts. We're going to go down and we're going to serve somebody that has nothing. How are you cultivating the presence of God? Are you teaching your children to tithe? Or are you constantly giving them gifts and gifts and gifts and allowances and not taking a teachable moment to teach them that it is important to put God first in your finances? What about church attendance? Are we cultivating that on Sunday morning this is what we do? We're not moved by our feelings. We're not moved by our doubt. We're moved by faith. We move by what we know to be true. And this is what we do as a family on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. You see, is your children seeing you live out your faith? Do they see you do something on Sunday morning and you do something different on Monday? Are you modeling the faith to your children? Listen, if your children can respect you and the people closest to you can respect you because you're a faith, you've done a wonderful thing. Anybody could respect you at the church house, but somebody who sees you on an intimate level day by day or often, if they can respect you because of your Christianity, then my friends, half of the battle's already over. See, they pay attention. My uncle Eric was a great influence in my life. And one of the things I remember as an eight-year-old is my uncle would go to the back bedroom and he would pray at his mother's house, which is my grandmother. And I could hear my uncle pray all throughout the house. And that was a common thing that changed my life as a child. I would always hear my uncle pray in the background. I remember going to church, and as I walked to the church, you know, they had the music playing. We had church at 730, you know, on Sunday night. So when we were going to church, I could hear them play the music. And as I got to the building, I could hear my pastor pray because her office was in the back of the church. You could hear people pray. Those moments made a difference in my life. You see, you're either a blessing to somebody or you're a blessing to someone. And I pray today that we would be a blessing to someone instead of a lesson. Don't let your children grow up and say, I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. They didn't live out their faith. Listen, I'm not asking you to be perfect. Nobody's perfect, but I'm asking you to be consistent. I'm asking you to put God number one in your life. I'm asking you to cultivate the power and the presence of God in your life. Listen, I'm not saying cultivate goosebumps. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying have a conscious, perceived sense of God's presence in your life. And that if you know that God is with you, then there comes a respect that my life inhabits the presence of God. That wherever I go, the presence of God goes. You see, I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 3, and this is what happens sometimes to us. In Genesis chapter number 3, it, recall, it, it recalls the fall of man and how Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. And when they partook of the fruit, the Bible says they fell into sin. They fell into sin. They took of the fruit and they fell into sin. And I want you to see what happens here. One of the things that happens here is this. Satan comes in Genesis chapter number 3. And, and this is what the serpent says in verse number 4. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 4. Look at it. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. Verse number 5. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree, a tree that was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. The word sound in Hebrew means cool of the day. They heard a breeze. God, they heard God walking in the cool of the day. Or, excuse me, the word cool means breeze. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, well, who said you were naked? Have I not commanded you? Have, I, have you eaten the tree of which I've commanded that you should not eat? And then, the woman, then the man said, well, the woman that you gave with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You see, the issue is here, listen, Adam and Eve was used to the presence of God. And God comes in the cool of the day. It's probably late afternoon. He comes in the cool of the day in the garden. And the very first thing that Adam and Eve does was they hid themselves. Am I right? Among, look at it, this is what I want you to see, verse 8. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. So they heard God coming. They're used to God's presence. And they hid themselves among the trees. This is the point that I want you to see. They went after provision instead of presence. In other words, they hid themselves among God's provision. God provided trees for them to eat from, and they hid themselves among the trees from God. The spiritual application I want you to see from this is this. Sometimes we go after the things that God has provided for us, and we neglect the presence of God. We hide among the provision. We hide among the trees. What kind of trees are you hiding in? Are you hiding among the trees of your job? Are you hiding among the trees of your relationships? Are you hiding in the trees? And you can fill in the blank. Instead of them pursuing after God, they hid themselves from God in God's provision. And how many times in the modern day world that we live in, how many of us run to the things that God has given us instead of running to God himself? How many of us will run to the trees instead of run to God? Let me tell you something, that tree will never bring healing to your sick body. That tree will never bring fulfillment to your delusional mind. That tree can never fix what the enemy has broken. You've got to run to the presence of God and stay out of the trees. Are you running towards the presence of God or are you hiding in the trees? And you've got to Make up your mind. You see, the Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verse 32, you know, Jesus cast a demon out of a man. The man of Gadara, he had lots of demons, a legion of demons. And the Bible says that these demons were cast into a bunch of pigs. And what happened? The Bible says 
it ran down the cliff of the hill and went into the water, and they perished. And it's interesting in Luke chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible says that the people of the city asked Jesus to leave because their pigs were destroyed. My point is this. Are you running after pigs or are you running after the presence of God? They, they love their pigs more than they love Jesus. You know why they, they love their pigs? Because it was a source of income for them. They lost their income. Their pigs were gone. And then they asked Jesus to leave. And that's what we do. We run after pigs instead of the presence of God. We hide among the provision instead of running to the source. And I'm telling you today that if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. I'm reminded of, in closing today, I'm reminded of two families One of them respected the presence of God in their family, and one of them disrespected the presence of God. The first family is called the family of Eli. Do you know the family of Eli, in the Old Testament, he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. These two sons were evil, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible gives us the indication that Eli and his sons are priests unto the Lord. 1 Samuel 1, verse 3, they're, they're priests unto the Lord. So you have a priest, and you have two sons, and they are priests unto the Lord. And then the Bible says in second, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, and the Bible says that the sons of Eli was corrupt, for they did not know the Lord. Here is priest. These are men of God. And the Bible says they were corrupt. They didn't really know the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 22 of the same chapter, or excuse me, same chapter, 22, Eli was old, and he heard everything his sons did in Israel and how they used to lay with women at the door of the tabernacle. So these sons were evil. They were committing sexual immorality at the church house. And his father never corrected them. Because we never think our children do anything wrong. They never do it. My child's a little angel. Just remember Lucifer was an angel too. So his father never corrected him. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that these men were priests of the Lord. They're familiar with the presence of God. And yet, in the midst of the presence of God, it did not change them. Because you can experience the presence of God at the tabernacle. But if you're not experiencing the presence of God at the tent, if you're not cultivating the presence of God at home, then it's not going to bring lasting change. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11, Eli and the sons. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm going to do something to Israel, both ears and, and of everyone who hears it. You're going to tingle. In other words, he's going to correct these sons. Verse number 12, the Bible says, In the day I will perform against Eli all that I've spoken to his house from the beginning to the end. Eli, I know you're a priest. Eli, I know you love the presence of God. But Eli, your house, your tent 
is out of order. You better get your boys in order. You see, it's one thing to experience the presence of God at the tabernacle, but it's another thing to experience at the tent, at your house, at your house. They didn't respect the presence of God. And because they didn't respect the presence of God, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 21, they were judged. Eli passed away. And the Bible says that his grandson, his grandson, look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 21, Eli's grandson was born. They called it Ichabod, saying the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. The glory has departed. Eli died right after the baby was born because the glory and the power of God had departed. Why? Because he did not correct his sons. He didn't bring his house in order. They experienced the presence of God at the tabernacle, but if you're not cultivating at the house, at the tent, at your house, you're not putting your house in order, then, ladies and gentlemen, the consequences was too great for Eli to bear. I'm asking you today, what are you doing at your house? What movies are you watching? What conversations are you having? What are you conveying at your house? Are you, is your house a sanctuary? Or your house a den? What are you doing? It's awesome. The power of God is here. But I want the power of God to be at your house in your tents. What about the family of Obed-Edom? They, they, this is another family and this family was blessed because of the presence of God. One family disrespected the presence of God, and the glory of God had departed. But here's another family, Obed-Edom. They cultivated the presence of God. They respected the presence of God. And because they respected the presence of God, the Bible says everything was blessed. I'm closing with this. 2 Samuel chapter number 6 verse 11. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 11. I want you to see what happens to Obed-Edom here. Oh, I love this scripture so much. And when I was reading, I was like, I want to, I want to be this type of person. I want, I want to have this type of experience. 2 Samuel chapter number 6 and verse number 11, the Bible says the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom. It was there for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Do you see that? The Lord blessed. Look at verse 12. Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything that belongs to him because of the ark of God. You see, Obed-Edom had the ark of God at his house. The ark of God was the presence of God. And Obed-Edom had it at his house. He respected it. He honored the presence of God. And because he honored it and respected it, the Bible says his whole household was blessed. My friends, the family Eli was Ichabod. The glory had departed. But now you have the family of Obed-Edom. They respected the presence of God at the house. You see, this is powerful. The ark of God wasn't at the tabernacle. It wasn't in some building. The ark of God was housed at Obed-Edom's house, his tent he respected it in his house. And because he respected it in his house, everything that he had was blessed. 
It's not about coming to church and getting blessed. That's good. But are you housing the presence of God at your house? Because when it starts at the house, I'm telling you everything you have will be blessed. Even if the preacher don't pray for you, if you just house the presence of God, he will be blessed. What about it, my friends? Are you housing the presence of God at your house? 